Hi everybody, it's Luke Copping from the American Society of Media Photographers. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode with Clay Patrick McBride. Clay's an incredible photographer who's worked with some of the biggest names in sports and music. He's also an amazing educator at the Rochester Institute of Technology where he's working to help teach the next generation of photographers what it means to be an artist and what it means to be in business in the arts. You can find out more about ASMP and what we do to support photographers and visual artists by visiting ASMP.org. Enjoy the episode. Hey everybody, welcome to ASMP Experts and Masters, live from Adorama in New York City. I'm here today with my co-host, Tom Kennedy, and our special guest, Clay Patrick McBride. Uh, we're going to be talking about Clay's career, his work as an educator, and his history with uh, Tom at the Eddie Adams Workshops. We're learn a lot of ground today. But first, we want to give a big thanks to both Adorama for hosting this event and the Photo Brigade podcast, uh, who's helping us put this together and producing it with us. Um, so I'm going to turn it over to my co-host, Tom Kennedy, who is the executive director of ASMP. All right. Thanks, Luke. And Clay, welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you on. I remember the first time we met was probably about 13 years ago at the Eddie Adams Workshop. I was blown away by your work and the passion that you reflected in your talk. And I remember talking with you afterwards and having some unbelievably good conversations about the business and creativity and those kinds of things. So really want to talk about all that this morning. So let's Let's start with kind of, you know, a recap on where you got started and how you got started. Right. I just want to thank you guys for having me. Thank Adorama and um, the Photo Brigade for being here. Uh, it's an honor and a privilege to share my story. And uh, I'm just stoked that you two guys are part of ASMP. I think you're great leaders and uh, Thanks. awesome photographer. Thanks. And if anybody has a true God's eye, bird's eye perspective of the industry, that would be you, Mr. Kennedy. And uh, yeah, I'm just stoked that you're the guy talking to me because <laughs> you're smart as you're very smart. <laughs> um, Thanks. So, um, how I got my start? Uh, you know, I grew up upstate New York, I guess uh, Sullivan County, the Borscht Belt, and uh, I had older brothers and sisters. They had a lot of records. I think that was my first experience with art and photography was through record collections. And uh, um, my uh, Mother was an interior decorator, so she had a very nice way, of, a sensible way of doing things. And she would sit me at a drafting board and introduce me to art supplies and stuff like that. And uh, that was rad. And my oldest brother was a um, professional magician, and, uh, and he's a very radical innovator. And he taught me a great deal about, uh, about practice, about discipline, and about commitment to uh, his work. So that's where that started. And... Uh, I don't know, years later, I picked up a camera at a thrift store, and I declared that I was going to be a photographer with my friend Derek. And I don't even remember it, but, um, but he tells me about it. And uh, so that's you know, where it started. At a, I was a kid with some problems, and the camera became a great container for those problems. Um, it became like a compass. It became like a, a way to make some darkness in me visible. And uh, I, I loved it. You know, It was analog the developer print coming up in the tray it was mystical it was alchemical it was it was magic and uh and i followed it i ran with it and uh i had a great teacher at a community college because I, I dropped out of high school and was in uh was in some community college just trying to get some good grades so i could go to a proper school and 
And I had this teacher named Judith Taylor. She's passed away. She told me that uh, I was good, and that's all I needed to hear. Um, so, and she said I could study it somewhere. And I was like, you mean you can study this? And she's like, yeah, you could go to school for it. And I was like, well, where, where on earth do you do that? And she told me a couple schools here in New York. I ended up going to the School of Visual Arts eventually. So, yeah. <laughs> cool. And did you have a vision as you were getting started of where you wanted to go with it and what you wanted to do, or were you just kind of experimenting and right following your path? Yeah, I don't know if I had a vision or a destination in the jump off. You know, like, yeah. I remember just finding out, like, years into it that I could actually make money doing it. Like, that was never <laughs> even attached to it. You know, to me, I think I, I picked up a camera and started to use it because I had to. It was, <laughs> it was different. It wasn't – I work with these kids now – I'm a teacher at a, at a college that, with very driven students, and they're very concerned about having the right skill set to be, you know, they want to know 3D, they want to know Dragon Frame, they want to know all these, I want to know Capture One, they want to be um, situated to be attractive higher. That was never on my mind, you know, like when I started. And uh, um, when I started to make a little bit of money and I started to actually work in the music business, then it became clear that I wanted to be a part of like Tower Records, and they had Duratran's five by five windows that were backlit, and on a wet night in New York City, you would look at these things, and they were like stained glass. They were the most magical things I ever saw, and, and that became the destination. And once I had a target, it became, you know, I think the universe conspires to get you there, mm-hmm. you know, and and a lot of lucky things happened, but it was a luck I was making because I was driven towards a target, you know, and I think if you, um, it's important to know who exactly you want to work for, because it became like a small list, you know, it became a couple hundred people who ran the art departments of uh, record labels, and and it wasn't like I wanted to work for the world, you know, it was like I wanted to work for these people, Mm -hmm. and I knew their names, and I had their phone number, and I just had to get my work seen by them, so... And yeah. how'd you go about doing that? Um, how'd you get started, you know, reaching yeah. out to them and kind of... I think it's a them... long, slow, mysterious process. It's like, I always say, it's like pushing a rock uphill, you know? And uh, um, I would call the... I would call, I would get, you know, this is before the World Wide Web. This is before many things that um, that we have now, you know? Uh so I'd call the art department, I'd get a list, I'd start to call these people, I would mail them some color Xeroxes with a nice letter, I'd follow it up with a phone call, and I'd just try to ice pick my way in a courteous way to, into these people's office. And eventually, if you're polite enough and um, gracious enough and respectful enough, uh, it happens. And it happened, and, and I would have a meeting with some guy, some junior art director, and it would seem like a waste of time because this kid couldn't even hire me if he wanted to because he was busy working on... Billy Joel's greatest hits, you know, he wasn't even like in a position to to match me with the right project. He was just taking care of the low hanging fruit at the label. And I'd be in his office and he he would say something like, oh, Larry should see this work. And then suddenly, as if by magic, a man named Larry Fremantle would walk in the door and he's a looming six foot six man of heavy stature. And he took my book and he flipped through it in seconds and he would say, I'm going to send this somewhere. Is that cool? And he disappeared. And then I was working for a record label, you know, like a real record label and putting together a real estimate and getting hives because I was so nervous, you know, and way over my <laughs> head, you know, and not knowing what to do. And and uh, so it was, it was through just 
getting out there and 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 being in the sometimes the right place at the right time and you know uh not you know because i had different meetings where they go through my book in 10 seconds and i felt like saying yo wait and sometimes i have like show that some respect that's my life's work right here you know Mm -hmm. and so i have a big mouth and uh i would mess up some meetings like that by telling people that they were not respecting me and uh you know so it's a live and learn and i think it's like skateboarding you got to fall down a lot you got to fall on your face and there are no mistakes they're just lessons you know (laughs) and i had a lot of lessons and i fell on my face you know so it's interesting talking about that notion of lessons because you have made something of a transition to an educator as yes. well now. And how did you make that transition to teaching at RIT, which, uh, as many of you know, is, is where I also studied photography. And Clay's a, a, an amazing teacher there who's really, I think, uh, become a, a guiding force for a lot of the, the students at RIT. But how did you make that first step? Uh, guiding force, that's a heavy word. I like to see myself as someone <laughs> holding the lantern. Um, so, uh, I, I, you know, I had a great teacher at the School of Visual Arts named Stephen Fraley, who now runs the department. And when he took that job, he uh, he gave me one course in the summer, and it was poorly enrolled, but he kept it. And slowly, my momentum grew there, and eventually, I was shooting several courses. Um, I grew a real passion for photography or for teaching photography because it seemed very meaningful. You know, like a lot of what I do turns yellow and gets thrown out with the magazines. You know. Um, that I create, you know, so it's very disposable. And I think the, and I work with a lot of rock stars, but the real rock stars in my mind were my professors and my teachers and the people who were still informing me and like ghosts, they walked in my head, you know? So, Mm -hmm. um, so I really started to value that role and, and my role in people's lives and that I could really affect people with, with my experience, you know? And like I was built here as an expert, and a master, and I think those are big words, right? And uh, I'm, I'm neither of those things. I'm a guy with some experience, you know? Like, and, and I have strong opinions on things, but I will say that they're just my experience. And that's what I teach from, and that's what the kids respect. Because um, I'm not talking about how things are out there. I'm talking about this is what I know to be true out there. And this is what I know to be true about working with Aesop Rocky and Kanye West, and then I have them. Because I'm working with their you know, the list that's on their, uh, you know, iPhone, you know, their, their playlist or whatever, you know. So um, eventually I felt like uh, I wanted to be more a teacher, and I hit a wall there, so I went to school again at the School of Visual Arts uh, with Katrina Eisman and Tom Ash at the MPS program, the Master of Professional Studies in Digital Photography, because I studied analog, you know, I studied darkroom, and I was not, I relied on these RIT kids, to come and tech for me, to fill in all these gaps for me when it was transitioning. And I didn't know, you know, I didn't know Capture One. I didn't know, you know, Profoto, RGB, or, you know, the different profile. I didn't know. And so they, these kids taught me, and they were, they were smart, smart. And they were, you know, a little nerdy. But, you know, a boss should be the dumbest guy in the room, you know. And, uh, and I rely on people who are smarter than me to fill a lot of parts of my skill set because I, I can do – a couple things well, but not everything well. So I relied on these kids. So I got this master's, and um, I was led through, you know, we met at the IDM's workshop, and I'm a very passionate speaker up there. And so a lot of their faculty is up there assisting and just, you know, like um, part of their professional development is to go up there and just stay up to date on on what's trending in photography, and that's a great place to do it. Um, 
so they heard me speak and, and they knew I was a teacher and I was friends with many of their alumni mm -hmm. who were going back there and saying, yo, I'm working for Clay. This guy's awesome, <laughs> you know? And so they just, they started to court me. And uh, I kind of go with the flow of the universe. And when I had the job, I felt like I've been in New York for like uh, 25 years. And, and it was, I, I was ready to check something else out, you know? Uh, freelance is a weird, wonderful, difficult life. And I, I now have a steady paycheck and benefits and long vacations. And um, I never had that. I never had money every two weeks showing up in my account. It was always a mystery, like net 30, 60, 90, mm -hmm. WTF, you're going to pay me, you know, um, kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, so I've, I've actually had the pleasure on a couple times of, of going up to RIT and speaking to Clay's class and getting to see how he interacts with the kids. And it's great because I think it's such a radical change from my own experiences at RIT mm -hmm. um, in the 90s when it was a very technically driven course. And I think that you're bringing a healthy dose of like kind of the real world to a lot of the students who I think is super, super important to actually get them prepared to go out there and be photographers or photo editors or whatever it is they end up doing. Be but, ninja. That's yeah. what I say. it got to exactly. be ninja. You yeah. Know? So, I mean, do you think there's anything in particular that uh, RIT is kind of a microcosm because RIT is an extremely well-regarded school with a long, you know, connection to the photographic industry, being in Rochester with Kodak there and Xerox and some of the fun that comes there. But outside of that, I mean, what, what, what are the students that you're working with today, like, hungry to learn? Like, what, is their, what are their pressing concerns getting out of school and entering, you know, the world of photography as freelancers? Yeah, well, they're very concerned with, um, with the form... What, you know, what's, where I struggle is that um, they're very obsessed with how a picture's made and craft, right? And, and they really know how, they learn how to light, they learn how to do some post-processing, they learn how to shoot with the best cameras, whatever they are. Um, you know, some, something that shoots an enormous amount of megapixels, that's a, you know. So they, they, they get really involved in the matter and and what I try to teach him is like, yes, but what conversation are you trying to start with me in the world? And why do you even pick up that camera in the first place? You know? And are you shooting, you know, from two places, you know? They work from their heads, and I try to get them into their heart. And, and in life, it doesn't matter what you do. You make decisions with two things, your head and your heart. And whenever you take one into consideration without the other, you're usually in some trouble. Right? Please don't take that away. Um, thanks. I'm still drinking it. No, it's cool. It's just coffee. Um, so you got to be this marriage of these two things, you know, your head and your heart. And when people just work from their head, I am bored. And it's flat. And it's meaningless. And there's nothing to it, right? So I try to get them to hardwire the camera to their heart, you know, and, and to get... And so that's a um, big thing in my teaching, you know. Um, the kids... They learn so much where we are. You know, I teach a large-scale production class where we work in big teams. We work slowly over a long period of time, and it's really like everything in the real world. Um, right up here, Harrison. Come to me, sir. Thank you. Uh -huh. Harrison James O'Brien, everybody, holding me down. Uh, one of my best students. I don't know why he's late. If I taught him everything, I'd teach him how to be on time. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, you know, when you come late and you bring a coffee, you're forgiven, right? <laughs> but when you come late with your own coffee, it's like, huh? You had time to get you a coffee or me a coffee? 
right? So that's how I teach them, you know? Um, I will humiliate them. I will... Um, I will... Sounds like Eddie's. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm very hard on them. Uh, so I put them in some real-world circumstances. Just last weekend, we work with the Special Olympics. So it was um, Josh Metzler's crew from PGA Photojournalism and my crew from Ad Photo um, coming together with these wonderful athletes who... Um, you know, who have disabilities, who are competing. We photographed ice skating. Uh, it's on my Facebook page. There's many galleries up there right now for uh, the Special Olympics and RIT. And we did wonderful portraits. And um, I got to witness an event. Like, that's what I love about photography is it's always taking me somewhere like a compass, you know, like somewhere I've never been. And uh, we were like pirates, you know, like just running through this situation and, and making great pictures and bringing so much joy to the community through our, our work, you know, pictures. And at the end, we had a very DIY show. We, I went home, I printed all the photographs quick, big, you know, 17 by 25, and we put them up on the wall, and people were able to take the prints down at the end of the day. And, you know, I don't know, that didn't happen here in New York when I was teaching. You know, like, uh, I love this place, but it's filled with very self-absorbed people who are, are, are very busy trying to deal with their you know, stupid overhead and, and the stuff they need to deal with here. And, and that's its strength and its weakness. But the time and the space and the openness of living in western New York, is, um, it's got its own strengths too. Yeah. That is, yeah. So thinking about kind of the hard head thing, which I love because that, you know, that's the kind of conversation that we had back at Eddie's that really resonated for me. How do you see that kind of deriving from your own experience working with you know some of the talents that you've worked with over the years especially in the music business i mean that connection how does that happen you know where do, you know how does the collaboration manifest itself you know and where do you go with it mm -hmm. um well to me that's the best part of being a portrait photographer is that i get to connect with people i get to dance with them you know like that's why I, I, lately i just keep thinking it's a dance you know and and to me, it's a celebration of spirit, and the spirit isn't always happy, you know. The spirit is restless sometimes. So, um, well, one thing, I do a lot of demos, you know. I actually photograph the kids, you know. I have a lot of trophies in my class. They win these trophies. If I'm going to photograph them with this trophy, I try to take it very seriously. I try to let them approve the picture. I try to dialogue with them the way I would with, you know, LeBron James. I try to give them the same treatment. Um, that I would. And, and what I say again is like the way I handle somebody in a photograph is not maybe the way that, you know, this is just my way and you need to find your way and what works for me might, might work for you, you know? Um, cause I say some pretty crazy things to somebody when I'm picturing, photographing them. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I've forgotten the question, Tom. I'm sorry. No, I went no, that's off. okay. I, went I, just, off. I'm, I'm just, uh -huh. I, I mean, I'm always struck by the imagination that a lot of your work uh -huh. has in the moment, the way you've gotten yeah. the, your subjects to work with you and put themselves in, you know, unique situations. So I guess I'm just really curious about what that collaborative process is yeah. like. For with you. the artist? Yeah. Okay. With, yeah, with yeah, the yeah, artist, yeah. you know, um, sometimes it's really set up and it's, you speak to the publicist, you get something approved yeah. and... You know, you send some mood boards or there's a real um, dialogue between you and their people. And, and, and other times there's nothing, you know, it's, it's, it happens in the moment. Um, or, you know, you shoot the safe shot and then you try to go somewhere you wouldn't go. 
you know, some some assignments I've gotten, it's just been a phone number, and you know, get get to Detroit and call this number and work it out. There's no direction. There's nothing. You know, so you just kind of get there and figure it out. So, it's every situation is kind of unique to itself. You know, but but if I could speak to this picture, right? Okay, so this is Andre Serrano, right? Mm-hmm. This is for Posture Magazine, uh, which is a uh, magazine for transgender people and, and queer people. It's an empowerment, uh, beautiful magazine that showcases a lot of artists. And, uh, so this is one of my um, great students, Asha Torres, Torres who um, is supposed to be here. And uh, I guess she's sleeping in. He's sleeping in, right? Um, and... Uh, he started this magazine with some other folks, and uh, and so they get Andre Serrano, who's like a real bad boy in art, mm-hmm. right? So what I love is, one, that my student started a magazine. Two, that she gets a great assignment to shoot a legendary artist who's a total bad boy who, like, literally caused riots in France for his pictures, right? So, and who's on top of that list to shoot Andre Serrano? You know, me, right? So... To, to see one of my students get in a position where they could hire me, is, I hope it happens a million times, right? Because I'll be working every day of the week, you know? <laughs> um, but so I get to go to his house, right? And I get to hang out with him in his house. And it looks entirely decorated with the most beautiful antiques from Renaissance France. And uh, real skulls from the catacombs. Real crazy books from when, you know, paper was this thick. Um, uh and I, and you know, may I move some of these things around your house, you know, Mr. Serrano, you know, and and he's just like a, he's like a New York dude, you know, he's just like got an accent, he's just he's not pretentious in any way, he's just kind of gangster, you know, and and uh, and I get to do that dance with this guy who uh, who's a part of like um you know the, my foundation in art and like uh, and to be radical like that, so. Um, you know, there's a fashion stylist there. There's a lot of people there. There's hair, makeup. You know, there's a lot of people involved in the shoot. But you kind of want them all to disappear and him just to connect with me, you know. And I shoot with view camera. I shot this with view camera. And uh, it just elevates it and it lets you know this is not like any other photo shoot. So I use that view camera and, you know, I shoot some Polaroids and give them to him and, and just get everybody fired up. So, you know. Every situation is like its own set of circumstances, and that's why I think it's important to practice, mm-hmm. you know? And in each situation, it doesn't matter. Like, if somebody called me and asked me to take a headshot for them, I was going to do it because they're going to be their own unique set of circumstances and personality, and I kind of want to practice with that. And, and, and I think practice is the most important. Yeah. When you talk about practice, are, do you... How does that manifest itself for you? I mean, what what kinds of things are you really looking to practice uh-huh. when you're working? Well, you, you just, like, practice is, uh, like, again, back to my brother who's the magician, you know? Like, if he doesn't practice and he's bumbling through his act, you know, right, that's right. that, and in front of a live audience. And many times I'm working in front of a live audience, you know, mm-hmm. like this, live mm-hmm. audience. Um, uh, you, you, it has to be second nature. It has to be committed to muscle memory. You mm-hmm. know, you can't be thinking about the camera, the light, and connecting with somebody at the same time. You have to have your head like detached from the actual mechanics of the camera, so you can be in this dance with somebody. You know, so so that stuff needs to just be locked and loaded. And and when we, you know, when we put the light here, we know it's going to look just like this, and it's done. The thinking's done. You know, so. Practicing so many things, um, but like, what if the power goes out? What if this light breaks? What if I do? I have another body? Do I have another set of lights? Do I have batteries? Do I have? 
um, do I have a plan B? Or like, you know, there's so many things that we could be uh, thinking about there. So, yeah. So through your own journey as a photographer, but also as an educator, looking back at your own education, was there ever a moment or like an epiphany you had that you felt like shifted the course of your career, but it kind of defined who you eventually became? Um, well, a couple things happened. You know, I don't know if they were epiphanies for me, but like I worked with Kid Rock and Nora Jones very early in their career, and they blew up. And, that, and they took me with them. And, and I didn't know at the time that who Kid Rock was. I saw him at Woodstock. It was a pretty big deal. But I didn't know that he would be the artist that went on to sell 10 million records with his debut. And, and Nora Jones was just this little girl for Blue Note that they were like, yeah, we have this pretty girl. Maybe you'd like to photograph her. And I was like, sure. You know, I ended up doing all of her stuff for many years. And so those relationships um, and their success brought my success, you know. Uh, but I've gotten a couple letters from, from parents over the years about uh, how I've affected their children, and, and I save them. And I put them all in these weird journals I keep, and they're dear to me, and I think they really let me know that I'm on to something, that I should stay with this teaching thing, you know? So, um, yeah, I think that answers that question. Yeah. Yeah. What would you, what do you, what are you look? Where are you now in your career? What are you looking to do next? Yep. You know, where do you want to go with things? Oh, where do I want to go? Um, Thinking specifically about you know your work as opposed yeah. to the teaching. Yeah. Well, I think I'd like to start. I mean, I've been a part of so many of these platforms, right? Creative Live. I've been here. I've been part of the Eddie Adams Workshop, and and uh, you know, I give these gold bricks out to one student in my class. And I think to start small, I'd like to just get all these kids who have these gold bricks together and just see where they're at in life and talk to them and have a little workshop, impromptu workshop somewhere, you know. And, uh, and I just like to put all the bricks in a pile and see how many. I have no idea how many bricks there are in the, in the world out there. So if you have one, hit me up. Um, so that would be something place to start. But, you know, I have a lot of goals, you know. Um, book, uh, I'd like to do a lighting book. Uh, I'd like to do my own sort of book on the music. I photographed the 90s stuff that mm-hmm. I think is held in the hearts of a lot of people mm-hmm. uh, and really speaks to a generation. Uh, when they see my work, they really are like, oh, my God, you know, and, oh, you have, you know, you have Tool and you have Little Kim, you know, what, what? <laughs> um, so that's for real. That's great. Um, um yeah, those are those are some goals I have. I mean, I've been writing a screenplay for a long time. That's you know a daunting task, but I'd like to shoot a little scene from that. You know, I would. I've been working a lot with this Super Eight cameras lately, and I love them. You know, so I'd like to just even shoot it real low fi like mixed media kind of thing. And yep, yeah. Nice. Next so question. One of the th- <laughs> one of the things that I want to touch on, and I think it's really interesting because we talk to a lot of photographers when we talk about successes but I'm always really interested in the stumbling blocks and the mistakes people made was there ever a mistake you made in your career that like bouncing back from like was a moment of clarity or taught you something like what was what was your stumbling block uh huh stumbling block um you know whether it was something that went wrong with the shoot or like a you know mm. a negotiation gone sour yeah I could say this you know like uh cause this is something I I lecture about in school, you know, one time I was shooting uh, 50 Cent and I was shooting for this uh, hip hop magazine that's like a very long term client of mine. And I get to the shoot and there's a couple really, um, really curvy Brazilian girls 
at the shoot and and they have like lots of augmentation and and uh and it's weird you know they're wearing very little clothes and they want me to take these pictures that i'm just not all right with in any way you know and, and they're justifying women they're quasi pornographic they're you know but they're not pornographic because they want this magazine to be able to get to their demographic, which is so sad, in jail. And in jail, you have to be covered in a certain way. Like, Maxim Magazine is the perfect example, right, of, like, what a magazine that can get in jail that's not pornographic, right? So I'm becoming a part of this whole gross thing, and, I, and I'm photographing it. Because I, I realize if I, if I say no right now, they're just going to kick me out of the studio, and they'll get some egghead, you know, 19-year-old kid in there to do my job, and, and he'll be happy to do whatever they want. But I'm, I'm not that kid anymore, you know? I'm like... You know, I'm in my 40s, and and I'm really conscious of like what I'm putting into the world, right? So I just I shoot it all. I have kind of a salty attitude, and uh, but I get it done, and then I don't give them any files, right? When they're asking me, you know, can you share these pictures with us? And I'm just saying no, and they're like, but you shot it. I'm like, yeah, but you need to really think about what that was and they're like yeah well this is our magazine it's what we do you, you have you read our magazine I'm like I've been a part of your magazine for a long time you know um, and and so they put me on the shelf for years you know uh, they didn't hire me for a long time but I made a point sometimes you gotta burn bridges to light the way you know and um, so th- like that's a circumstance you know there's a lot of circumstances you know uh, Real simple one is I was working before the internet. I'm working with Fatboy Slim, and it's him and his publicist at my house, right? And 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 I and I don't really know who's Fatboy Slim and whose publicist is. And his publicist looks really cool, right? So I said I put a touch him on the shoulder. I say, Hey, you ready to start? And the voice from behind where Tom is says, Yeah, I'm ready to go. And, and he hates me, right? <laughs> And so I have to spend the next hour photographing this guy who hates me. And, and so I learned that, you know. And every mistake, like I said, is not a mistake. It's a lesson. And sometimes the lessons are written in blood, like this girl, right? This is for ESPN. Let me just talk about this picture, right? This is at Madison Square Garden. Um, these people had just left medical. They just fought. She had won. And, um, you know, uh, Heather, what's her last name? Anybody remember? Yeah, I forget. Um, but she had just won, and uh, she comes to my set, and I... I have a few minutes to photograph each of these people, you know, and uh, for some reason I have to shoot it with a view camera and make it as hard as myself as possible. So, um, (laughs) but I cover my, I cover my hiney with, um, I'm doing all right, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, I cover, and I shot some color too, and the color ended up being more impactful. The black and white was very elegant. So, um, yeah. So I want to switch to your experiences when Tom first met you and how you got involved with Eddie Adams' workshop. Yeah. Eddie Adams' workshop is, if you don't know, um, uh, one of the most wonderful experiences. It's been going on for how many? 30 years? Since 1988. Okay. So how many years is that? 30. 30, 30 it'll be 30. This the next one will be the 31st. It'll be tri- double X? Triple X? Okay. Triple X, triple three. All right. Yeah, it's been going on for a long time. So Eddie was... Um, radical photojournalist who changed how we perceived our involvement in Vietnam with this very famous picture of a soldier getting assassinated. And uh, I met Eddie um, uh, late in his career. He was this mysterious, like, mythic figure that had this bathhouse studio downtown. And and uh, I met him, and I showed him some work. And 
I showed him one of my little Polaroid books that I keep. And he's like, this is cool and everything, but, you know, come show me some real work. So I was like, all right. So I brought my <laughs> real book to see him. And he looked at it. And he said, you know, um, kid, I want to help you. I'm going to fast forward your career seven years. You're going to come up to this workshop. You're going to be part. And I was like, what? Workshop, huh? So I went up and I found out that like 100 photographers, 50 professionals, 50 uh, students get to go to this thing. They work with uh, editors like you from Nat Geo at the time and, and many other Sports Illustrated, New York Times editors, all these great editors and photo editors. They work with photographers like myself and producers, and they go shoot these tremendous stories over the period of four days, Columbus Day weekend in Sullivan County. So it's right where I was from, which is, like, so strange. And I went up there, and, and Eddie took a shine to me, and he even said, um, and I think it's probably the highest compliment I've ever received in my life, that I represented a spirit and passion that he thought he had as a young photographer and, and a real... Um, sort of attitude, we'll just say, that uh, he had. And um, so that was some pri- pretty high praise. I even got a little tattoo for Eddie Adams on my elbow there, right on my shooting arm. So when I shoot, <laughs> right, it's like right there. Because um, that's what's important. When you get tattoos, like when my students get them, I'm like, put them up, let me see where they are. And they get them on the inside of their arm. And I'm like, ah, oh, you made a big mistake there. It's, you're all here when you're taking pictures, buddy. Um, whatever, I've digressed. So uh, <laughs> I, start, I, I started going to the Eddie Adams workshop, and it changed really my approach to photography. I became in love with storytelling. I became in love with um, this sort of ethics of photojournalism, some things I didn't even know about. Um, I became part of this community, and I've witnessed many great students up there go on to do fantastic stuff. And, uh, um, yeah, uh, it's, it's, been, it's been wonderful, and I hope to get back up there this year. Uh, yeah. I really do. So Tom, yeah, me too. Tom, what yeah. was your impression of meeting like a younger Clay back when you first met him at the well, at mean, the workshops? I mean, like a, a young Clay, like, young like, Cleasy, <laughs> Tom. What was that all about? Um, I thought, you know, I, I immediately, I you know, I gravitated toward him because I felt like you know he had the same kind of passion and drive <laughs> Matt that Irishman. I felt like I had as you know as a young editor. You know, I got him you know right away, and I thought, man, I want to hang with you because. You know, we you know we just had a lot to say to each other, and it was you know it was a really you know we had a good time there, mm-hmm. and got you know got friendship started. Yeah, you know. like from another lifetime, yeah. old souls reconnecting. Yeah, uh-huh. absolutely. So this is a series of images I particularly want to talk about. For okay. those of you that are listening on the podcast, aren't checking out the live event, it's a, a series of images featuring Jay Z, styled very presidentially. And uh, Clay, I'd love for you to. Uh, to, to go in a little bit more in depth about yeah. like, the genesis of this project. Sure, the genesis of this project was uh, Jay-Z. It was in 2004. Um, it was before we had a uh, black president. Um, so uh, and so that was deep, right? Um, and uh, Jay-Z had become president of Def Jam Records, uh, which was a real status thing, um, to become president of his label, Uh he, they proposed the idea, which was a rather typical picture of um, him sitting at a podium much like this with a bunch of microphones in front of him and the presidential seal and a couple flags in back, which is a picture that had been taken by a good friend of mine named Piotr of Chris Rock for the cover of Vibe. So I showed him that picture and I said, you mean you want me to do this again? I didn't say this idea is terrible, right? Because many times people have been sitting around a table for a long time and they come to you with an idea and that's the best idea they have. So you want to... You want to be mindful that and not insulting of their idea because I've made that mistake. Like, really? Is this your best idea? And that's no way to start a project. Like, you'll get fired real quick. And uh, 
So I said, listen, I have a better idea, and I've been looking at, um, let me just get to it. Uh, I've been looking at this one picture. It's actually not here, but um, uh, photographed uh, for the New York Times Magazine by this guy named Thames. George yeah, George Thames. Thames. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a picture. It was in Eddie Adams' um, office in his bathhouse, and it was a picture of JFK from the back. Right. And he was he looked like he had the weight of the world on the shoulders. It's actually titled "The Loneliest Man," mm-hmm. and and it, he doesn't really he had bad he had a bad back, right? right. He didn't have the weight. I mean, right. he was the president, right. but he also had like weird posture because he yeah. had a bad back. And he was actually reading the New York Times in the picture, which is yeah. you know. But he looks like he's contemplating the world, right? And I love this picture so much. And I didn't grow up with JFK. He was di- he died before I was born, but. Um, Somehow I knew who it was. It was part of my collective social consciousness. It was just in me. And I never studied the picture in photo history or anything, you know. But I, I, I spent time with Eddie before he died, and I'd look at the picture a lot, and I just thought, like, the gravitas, mm-hmm. right, of that picture was so powerful. So I proposed that picture, and I said, let's, you know, find a White House. I hear there's a set in New York City. Mm-hmm. We couldn't use the set. I said, there's a set in Washington, and we couldn't use that set. I said, well, let's build the set. And we got some money from Def Jam, like $40,000, which there was money like that in 2004. In 2008, no money like that, mm-hmm. right? But the stars aligned. And uh, luckily, I had a long history with this relationship with this magazine that they were like, yeah, let's go for it. So um, they got some money from Def Jam. And what's amazing is they never even asked for the rights to the pictures, right? So I own the pictures. Um, They're part of my legacy. I think that they're the most important pictures in hip-hop because I summoned, uh, you know, a black man in the White House before it happened. Like alchemy. I changed social (laughs) consciousness. I also received letters from white supremacists telling me that, you know, I should die for doing such a, you know. Mm -hmm. So those, I have those letters too somewhere, and uh, I love that. I love that, (laughs) like, I might have aggravated someone, someone the same way that Andre Serrano, who I talked about at length, and shouted you out, Asher. And you were late. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, my wife's like, don't do that. <laughs> Sorry. So glad you're here. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, you know, even like, so, yeah. um, so we made this set of pictures. We built it. It was Pier 59 over here in New York. We built it up in one day, um, pre-lit it, shot it the next day, and then tore it down that night. So it existed for, wow. you, know, you know, like 20, 48 hours or something. So. Would you say that, that you know, what do you, what do you, when you look back on what you've done to date, what's your most kind of golden moment? What's that uh-huh. thing that told you, you not only you were on the right path, mm-hmm. but you really, you know, climbed yeah. the mountain and, you know, were getting the view? Yeah, there's so many golden moments. But, like, just recently I, I, I got to work with this uh, wizard, um, Wendell Castle, mm-hmm. who in western New York is like Merlin yeah. of design and sculpture. And... I get to spend the day in the studio and watch him do his thing, watch him draw, watch him deal with his team, watch his robot file out his crazy um, sculptures. And, and I was working with this guy, and it was, he was so aloof, and he was so far away. And it was such a w- unique experience that I felt like I couldn't touch this guy. Um, and it ends up he's, uh, he's been very sick for some time, and he died this year. He died very recently. And so I, I really recognized why I couldn't get at him, you know, because he had like one foot in the other life, you know. Um, but he recognized the value and importance of my job, was so generous with his time, and let me, you know, um, engage with him in, in the nicest of ways. So that was really special, you know. And 
You know, the other story that, like, some of my friends are sick of hearing, but I'm going to say it is I got to photo- I've photographed Metallica several times. And mm-hmm. if you opened up my heart, inside me would be, you know, many Metallica records, right? And, <laughs> and so I'm with them, and I'm at Bonnaroo, and they're the headlining act. And uh, I'm with them for a couple days. I do my portraits of them, and then I'm just rolling with them. I get to roll you know, in the limo with the singer and his family to the event. And, and I'm not even taking pictures. I'm just kind of being quiet and like, how to, you know, what, where am I right now? And, and so I get to Bonnaroo and, uh, and I negotiate access for the stage, right? I don't want to be in the pit taking the same picture everyone did. So I want to be on the stage and I'm on stage and there's, it's a lot going on. And there's 80,000 people in the audience and uh, much like this, right? Much like this with my <laughs> 80,000 people here. And, um, and, and there's, uh, you know, they're the headliner of Saturday Night Bonnaroo. It's, it's epic. And, and I'm sitting on the drum riser and I'm noticing there's a lot of concussion and pyro. And I'm like, wow, this is exciting. And, and, and then I look down at the set list and I realize, oh, wow, this is the last song. No encore. This is it. Right? Because they went on a little late. And, and I'm like, whoa. I'm like, cool. So they're going to get up. And I know them. I've seen them a lot in concert. They're going to bow. And it's going to be dynamite. Right, and I'm going to take this picture, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's going to be like Jim Marshall. It's going to destroy Ross Halfin, who's done all their stuff for years. I'm just going to shame all these fools and just, you know, put my mark on the map. That's Metallica, and and I'm ready. And and they get up and they bow, and I'm standing behind them, and it's all wrong, Tom. Mm. They're too far away from the crowd. The light's not right. They're not standing close enough together. And I'm trying a different lens, and I'm trying my panoramic, and I'm shooting it, and, and I'm, like, cursing my brains out. Like, mm. I, if I could, every curse in the world right now, right here, is in my head, and I'm, and I'm very angry. And, and then I had to stop myself because I have a practice of meditating and checking myself and being present. And I got present, and I said, wait, where are you right now? And I'm standing in front of 80,000 people. Uh, behind my favorite band in the world uh, with this little black box that mysteriously records the universe. And I just put the camera down and I looked and I looked where my feet were and I'm like, how did I get here? You know? And I got here like they did. I did something I loved with discipline and perseverance for a long time. And I was there just like they were, headlining a bottom room. <laughs> yeah! That is a great right? goosebumps, that, right? I get goosebumps when I tell that story. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. that's a great. And it had story. nothing to do with picture. Yeah, right. Yeah. The picture yeah. had I could I didn't even bring the pictures, but they're they're duty, right? They're mm-hmm. doo doo. The pictures mm-hmm. are doo doo. Uh-huh. But it's it, you know it's so interesting that story because I mean it it speaks to something that, that I've always found profound about photography that it gives you this amazing ringside seat to life yeah. that you you know that a lot of other professions I don't think afford you mm-hmm. in the same way it's true and it's really you know when you're in the pressure of the moment trying to deliver on something it almost robs you of the joy of that moment so how do you you know I mean having had that experience and I you know I appreciate what you're saying about meditation I'm starting to get there myself and understanding its value mm-hmm. so to speak um, but I mean do you think that's an essential part of the photographic experience for an artist to have yeah. to, to really stay, have that be part of the, the journey in each moment? Yeah, I meditate for three reasons. One, to create mindfulness, to be present, to be right here, yeah. right? And here, right? 
too, to create space. I live in a crowded world, and the city's crowded, and I need to move some room and create some divine space for me to live in and breathe in where nothing invades that space, sacred space. Three, to remind myself that I'm a path to enlightenment, right? Um, because I want, you know, I want the third eye to open. I want to be in. So when we hold this camera up to our head, we're holding it up right here, you know, to the third eye, you know. And I think you got to open that up. you got to create space for that. you got to be present, right? Same thing when I'm talking about, like, you can't think about the light and your subject at the same time, mm-hmm. right? You have to be present for this conversation, yeah. right? You can't be thinking, like, oh, i got to open up a third. And as soon as you do, you're out of it, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All right, so before we wrap up, there's one question I like to ask all of our guests who come on the show, and that is, if you could only teach one lesson to someone who's getting into this business, if you had one piece of advice to impart to photographers, yeah. what would I mean, that be? That's easy. It's like on my head, right? It's like perseverance, right? Right there? All right. Oh, right. This side? Okay. <laughs> Thanks. I'm confused by the monitor, right? So it's right there. Perseverance, right? I think that's the word. It's actually a song by Hatebreed. Um, and, uh, you know, the world, the phone's going to stop ringing. People are going to tell you that it's impossible, that you can't do this. Um, you're going to have to sacrifice some of your fun and play. And, you know, while the others played, you paid. You know, like, it's going to be Saturday night. People are going to be going out, and you're going to have to, you know, work on your grind. You know, um, t- to me, it's... It comes down to that, and, and if there was, you know, so it's perseverance, and there's one thing, it's discipline. You know, like every problem in your life can be solved with discipline, period. You can't argue with that, and if you want to, hit me up, you know. But every problem in your life can be solved with discipline, and uh, m- much of my life I was told I had no discipline, right? Mm-hmm. And photography gave me a discipline, mm-hmm. which helped me develop character, which helped me develop confidence, which helped me develop clarity, which helped me develop not just uh, a lifestyle, you know, it's in my lifestyle. I live that way. Mm-hmm. All right. So we want to give a big thank you once again to Photo Brigade and Adorama. A big, big thanks for Clay coming today. Uh, I'm Luke Copping. This is Tom Kennedy. If you'd like to learn more about the American Society of Media Photographers, visit ASMP.org. Thanks a lot. Joel.